Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. If there were ever angels of imperfection, Jack and Earl are your guys. Who better than to discuss the saints thereof for Star Trek Discovery Season 2's Episode 5, Saints of Imperfection. Yeah, so, um, the, uh, the, I like the Mirror Universe theme song. That, like, Well, just a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is, uh, Earl Grey, and I am speaking with... Jack Dorino, your friendly podcast hosts. And we are... <laughs> we are discussing uh, Star Trek Discovery uh, Season 2. Presently, we're talking about Episode 5 and hoping on, hoping to move on to Episode 6. We are going to be talking spoilers. So if you have, for whatever reason, I mean, they're in Season 3 now, but if for whatever reason you haven't seen se- Season 1 or 2 of Star Trek Discovery, tune away now. Yeah, because we're like mad spoilery. Yes, I mean, and uh, we cannot be held accountable if we get into other spoilers in other territories, because last episode we discussed a little bit of uh, Battlestar Galactica and... Um, Smallville. But, Smallville, yeah, yeah. Um, although we barely touched on that, um, and a little bit of Game of Thrones. Um, spoilers, everybody dies in both seasons. Everyone dies, yep. Um, so pull out your bingo cards and get yes. ready for ready for a good ride for for rabbit trail bingo. Yeah. Um. Um. So you Ab- are listening. Please go ahead. You are listening to the unofficially named uh, United Tea House Federation. Oh my! The Tea House. The Tree House. Um, we are, um... Tea. Uh, yeah, tea, tree, whichever one. So, a great thing about this episode, <laughs> this first episode, uh, episode five, is it's written by Christian Beyer. Yes. Um, you know who Christian Beyer is, yeah? Uh, why don't you explain for the audience at home? So, Christian Beyer sort of, like, took the helm on, uh, Star Trek Voyager after Voyager ended, so she has kind of, like, helmed the eighth season of Star Trek Voyager. And her books are like very far spanning and they get into a lot of detail on all of the characters and they advance the story a great deal and they're really good reads. And for that reason, she's one of my favorite Star Trek authors. Uh, Voyager is not necessarily one of my favorite shows of Star Trek, but the books are really good. I think in my opinion, humble or not, the, the stuff that she's written is better than the stuff that we saw on screen with Voyager which is probably saying a whole lot, but it's also saying that I have complete confidence in her ability to help steer this Star Trek series because she just, she gets into a lot of detail and she gets a lot of, um, oh, I'm sorry. I just got distracted by this picture in Captain Pike's office. Uh, (laughs) Let's back up a little bit. So first, so first discovery is for, okay. So first we start off with like um, Burnham running down a hallway, which it's just a thing, like it's a trope now in Discovery. Well, uh, by herself, they, they, moving fast. Yeah, they introduce Till. They remind you of Tilly a little bit. Yep. And then they cut to Michael Burnham running down the hallway. Yep. Um, and and then they um, uh, she 
gets to what we're tentatively calling engineering. And, uh, it's not engineering. Um, well, I just thought of something. Yeah. So the Enterprise NX-01 and the Enterprise 71, no bloody A, B, C, or D, uh -huh. um, had a horizontal warp core which went out of the back of engineering and along the hull. And uh, so my hypothesis is is that the back wall behind the big giant uh, view screen that says red alert, uh, that's where the warp core is. Um, and then the rest of engineering focused around their main drive, which is the, was ideally and designed and built for the spore drive because they needed to, that was the experimental drive and they needed to access that the most and best. So I just found something interesting because I looked for it and that is yeah. Discovery class L cars, but this is not, it's Crossfield class, right? That's the name of the class for Discovery? Yes. Yeah. So, I think so. So I'm not sure what they think they're doing with this Discovery class. Shit, but I guess well, that could be a fan fan work art work. Well, I, I, yeah, I think that the only certainly not Elkhart. Um, oh, you know what? Well, yeah, but I think everyone like so. So there are Elkars. I mean, it uh, certainly could be. Well, there's Elkars. Elkars Beta or Elkars Alpha. There's Elkars screens of um, of uh, oh, you know older older ships um, like. Like um, mm -hmm. you know, Constitution class, Constellation class. So right now I'm looking for Crossfield class. Oh, I found, I did find one. Are, they, are those considered L cars? Uh, no, but I call them L cars just because it's easier. Because that's what I'm used to, you know. Okay. Um, I just found, and I actually like when I typed in, um, I typed in uh, Crossfield class bl blueprints, and it came with actually a, a, an interesting uh, L car screen that has the. I don't know what enterprise is this. This looks like, it's like oh, you know, actually, this looks like a Kelvin class um, um, enterprise, uh, regular enterprise sans prefix. Uh, Jack. So just briefly for our fam for our friends at home, Elcars, uh, we're referring to the uh, the computer system of starships in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, and the Elcars is an acronym that stands. In the 24th century, yes. It's an acronym that stands for Library Computer Access Retrieval System. Uh, um, so we're all, make sure our fans are on the same page as we are. Um, when I looked up, okay, so Crossfield Class Blueprint, this looks like, oh yes, this is definitely fan-made because it's for the USS Avenger. Um, and it is too small to see, unfortunately, very well. Um, but I, 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 at some point, we're gonna figure out, figure this thing out, <laughs> figure out where everything is. I, well, I, I need them to release. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself today as I was starting the episode before we started recording. I wish that they would release a blueprint of the ship, a map, a clear map, because I've been having so many issues trying to figure out the relations to everything and what, when they have to get on to a turbo lift and when they don't, because sometimes it seems like they are walking down a hallway and walk into the bridge directly from the back. 
And I'm thinking, okay, I thought, I mean, in most starships so far, which is the very top in the dome, it's the only thing on deck one, except for maybe the conference lounge. And it's like, why, why are they walking through? And it almost looks like they're walking through the turbo lift. The turbo lift has a back door, like it's, you know, a cargo turbo lift or something, or, you know, like the cargo elevators that you walk into sometimes you know have a back door in a hospital or something yeah and my, uh, the um, building where I, the building where i live has um so we have residences on one side of the building and built, uh, offices on the other side yeah. of the building so like we do have a back door and when we when we, we go in the elevator on the mm-hmm. first floor and you get up to like the fifth floor where i live you go out the other door i found this msd and uh it got me thinking you know there has to be some sort of reason that the saucer section sort of spins and the whole ship flips, like on that axis. So yeah. I wonder if instead of being at the back of the ship in main engineering, that the spore drive um, equipment might be in that that round bit where the saucer is, like the same place where the bridge is. Well, and that spinny bit of the uh, saucer, I can't decide if that's the inner ring, the outer ring. When you're standing on that portion of the, the ship, is that portion of the ship evacuated? Nobody lives there? It just spins for the yeah. drive? Or what? So people definitely live there. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think I've seen, uh, like, um, like uh, what do you call it? I, I want to call it a draw-in, like where you come from really far away and you come uh-huh. into the ship and you come through the windows. I feel like that I've seen uh, scenes that come uh, they come from all the way out in, into that section and that's where people live like I think that's where Burns quarters are okay on the spinning section well so they go to black alert and they do a sport drive jump and that saucer starts to spin do you feel that or do inertial daffers kick in what why don't your dishes all fall off the table at that point so another question is like, inertial dampeners are really dangerous because they're compensating for <laughs> they're compensating for inertial forces, right? Which means they must be providing reverse yeah. inertial forces. Which means that if they were to like malfunction, they could provide mm-hmm. in, like the reverse inertial inertial forces enough to like splatter you against the yeah. wall. Yes. Um. Um. And I I just had that same thought is how come they've never written an episode where where at some point during the episode, you know, the, the bad guys hack the system and turn on their, super turn on their inertial dampers, you know? <laughs> oh. um, or they, how come they don't malfunction? The, the holodeck malfunctions every other week. Oh, you every know? other week, yeah. <laughs> But, <laughs> uh, I mean, they go off, they're either online at 1G or they're offline altogether. And people flow away, but they only ever show that on Enterprise. Either that or the episode of DS9 where they have the uh, wheelchair lady where she, you know, she goes to her quarters and she turns off the gravity and she can fly. But You're talking about Melora Pazlar. If you say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's like the blonde lady with the, I don't know, like her whole, like, yeah. like uh, her whole species, like, flies back home. I guess they have, mm-hmm. I guess they have thicker air somehow than, than we do. Well, their gravity is lighter than uh, 1G, Earth gravity. That's why they can fly around. So it's almost like our moon's gravity, Luna, one-sixth Earth gravity. I don't remember if they give a measurement system, but 
Um, they may also have thicker air because, I mean, she's like bouncing off the walls like they just turned off the gravity. And it's like, so, so how, what keeps you from bouncing all the way up to the edge of the atmosphere and out into space? They must have some sort of way to control your flight like Superman can on Earth, you know? Right, right, yeah. Like, how do you change directions? I think is what we're getting at here. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and on one six Earth gravity, they bounce around a little bit, but they don't float through the air. They they can still, there is still something that holds them down. So, what happens next is that Kayla noted finds this shuttle, finds Spock's shuttle, and it turns out that it's not Spock aboard, but uh, Emperor George O. Pike starts talking to Giorgio as if she's, um, you know, Prime Universe Giorgio. Mm. Uh, but he also says that he's been briefed on their previous mission. So I don't know if that means that he knows who she is, or and he's just supposed to pretend like he doesn't. Or or, or just treat her like she, you know, she's a just regular everyday officer. Because he's like, well, Starfleet cleared her, so she's obviously, and she's start considered Starfleet now. So she, I'm supposed to trust her because Starfleet tells us to. Yeah, but he talks to her. He talks to her about like um, having retired. It begs the question: Does Starfleet know that she's from the mirror universe? Oh yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they have to know. Burnham would have reported that, I'm sure. Well, I mean, Giorgio is pretty intimidating. She might not. Have, she might have, you know, intimidated her not to tell Starfleet, or she might have kept her own secrets. I don't think Michael Burnham knew that she was in the mirror universe and in section 31 because, or knew that she came to our universe and is in section 31 because she's surprised that she's there. Yeah, she didn't know that she was in, well, she knew she was in section 31 because section 31 recruited her, recruited uh, Giorgio at the end of the first season. Oh, okay. Um, And she definitely knew she was in this universe because uh, she brought her here. She's the whole reason she's here. Oh, okay. Because remember, she she beams over and uh, Burnham grabs her as as Burnham's being beaming out, and JoJo goes like, "What have you done to me?" Which is my. Yeah. Here's another thing I've been confused about: What are these tech vests that they're wearing right now? Oh yeah, they're very interesting. Uh, I think I'm. They're I like bulletproof vests. They are. They're totally like bulletproof vests. Um, they don't protect the arms and they don't protect the um, the uh, head or the legs. Maybe they have some sort of uh, force field that comes from them. Hmm. Oh, look, both both rings spin. Uh, both. Rings. And then there's this intersection. Oh, sure enough, they spin. They spin. They spin in opposite directions. Yeah. So I gotta tell yeah. you, the effect when Discovery plops itself halfway into the uh, mycelial plane is yes. kind of awesome. Like, I think it's one of the awesome, the most awesome effects I've seen on Star Trek, when they're half in, half out. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like sinking in the mycelial plane as if it's like water. Um, and they mm-hmm. provide they provide like a, a way for uh, Tilly to walk into the ship. What's interesting is that it's like when she walks in, there's like a ghost, it's like a ghost ship inside. And why in the world is May, like still May? Once they get her, okay, 
once they go back into the mycelial plane, shouldn't she revert to like a spore or something or whatever she is? Maybe the writer didn't think about that. I, I don't want to yeah. bash it, but there's I gotta say there are a lot of things that the writer didn't the writers didn't think about here on Star Trek Discovery. Now granted there are a lot of things that they did. Well, think about. I mean they're human, so they can't think of everything. Oh, but they can because I'm thinking of them. Well, you're also thinking of them from a perspective of months or years later they're trying to write a weekly show yeah they have the time though it's not it's not as if they're doing you know where like next generation where they did they were you know working on episodes as previous episodes were coming out they're they're getting the whole thing done before they before they start releasing episodes well okay i guess um at least i, I believe that's maybe, the way it maybe is maybe they, they figured that maybe they hoped that the fans wouldn't you know pick up on that Oh, they can't be that daft. <laughs> Your average viewer isn't a, as Trek fan, so they do generally think of things in, that deeply and in that way. So, I guess I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, that's that's okay. That's the way we do things on. That's the way we do things on this show. We just start saying things and then just completely leave them at like uh like lost like drop threads <laughs> we're taking we're taking the uh we're taking the example of the of the discovery writers we just bring things up and then don't we don't actually complete them that's the way we do things around here yeah so i was utterly shocked when when i found when we discovered that the monster that the spore uh that the my the sport whatever whoever they are the mycelial network people creatures um, were complaining. I thought they were saying that, like, every time Discovery intersected their plane, that it, that it, like, broke things or, like, destroyed things or whatever. Um, especially when we saw the effect of Discovery crossing into the mycelial plane, and it was, like, this big, huge, like, building thing, right? That looked like it could really destroy some plants and animals mm-hmm. and stuff if it just, you know, hit them. So I assumed that. Yeah. That it was it was that that she was talking about that the discovery itself was the monster. Uh, it was really quite a shock to see that it was Q. I think that maybe that was an intentional red herring. I think maybe the writers wanted you to think that. Oh, a little misdirect. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. They do. You know, do I a mean, lot of leading, leading in one direction and then giving you another another answer to what it is. Sometimes people forget that this is Star Trek and characters come back to life all the time, almost like in comic books. So just because a character dies doesn't mean it's the permadeath, you know. Oh, at all. Like, if you don't... <laughs> what I was going to say was, like, if you don't see a dead body, then they're probably not dead. But really, if you see a dead body, they might actually be dead. They might actually not be dead also. Because <laughs> we saw out. a dead body with Hugh. We definitely saw Hugh's dead body. And we definitely saw, you know, like, George O's dead body, and here they are, back on the show. So one thing I noticed when the uh, saucer sections, or the saucers section, yeah. is spinning, there's a portion on the inner ring that doesn't move. It's like it's moving, there's okay. got to be ball bearings or something in that, but... The, you know, maybe the portion that are are the uh, quarters that people live in, maybe that's the section that just doesn't move because there's windows on those sections. Well, I think that um, I think that all the sections move, and I think they're all moved by maglev. Okay. You know that so magnetic levitation. So yeah, so yeah, it would be frictionless because if there if there, if there were any friction, then you would have to like go in for repairs a lot. I 
was really super alarmed yeah. when the mycelial plane started crashing through the bridge. Um, and I really thought that uh, that everything was going to intersect. I was really surprised that there was no damage done to the ship when they intersected with the plane. So then, so then Leland Why comes along. Leland has apparently been following them all this time, and he comes along in his little ship, his little three ships, and like tractor beams them out. They have yes. the most amazing. Leland's Leland's uh, ship is sort of like the Avenger from the Kelvin universe, like with all of the amazing things that it can do. Yeah. Except it's not as big. And uh, uh, for our folks at home, Leland is uh, the other Section 31. He's the male. Um, and he's uh, hypothetically the leader of Section 31. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that once uh, once we get this... So, so I have heard, of course, that there's a Section 31 series happening. And I assume that we'll find out the leadership of Section 31 and how the whole thing works um, once that show starts. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. Leland being the, the one guy in charge doesn't make any sense to me. He has no rank. He has no, like, he has no, I don't know. It doesn't seem to have, like, any place. So, like, I always thought that Section Did 31... Did Sloan have any rank? Well, so here's the thing. is I always thought, I always thought that Section 31 people had, um, you know, one job um, on the surface, and then they had this secret Section 31 job. Like, when, when they tried to recruit um, Bashir to Section 31, I, you know, like, he kept his job, and he just did the jobs for them when they when they asked for him to do the jobs, right? Well, except, I was under, during the DS9 introduction of Section 31, I was under the impression that Sloan was the only member of Section 31. Section 31 was so buried and so disguised and so entrenched within the depths of the bowels of the Federation or the United or, or the or Starfleet or whatever institution was supposed to be a branch of that was only one member that was in control of everything and did everything that Section 31 needed to do. I was almost on the impression that the original Section 31 that we got introduced to in Deep Space Nine was a pseudo shadow government thing that didn't really exist or work and it was just kind of the machinations of Sloan by then and he didn't have a rank, he didn't need a rank, he just was able to convince people that there was this thing that he made up called Section 31 oh. and he would recruit, he would do these bad things and because he felt they needed to be done and he had the ability to do them but he was just so convincing he was able to convince people like Bashir to do some of the work for them and then uh, lo and behold, Section 31 shows up in uh, Enterprise, and I can't remember if they showed up in Voyager or not, but but then they also did imply by the end of this season that uh, Section 31 was going to start to dig deeper and go below, because, I mean, it seemed like everybody on the ship knew who Section 31 was, almost like almost anybody in the United States know who the CIA heard of the CIA. They, they might not know anybody in the CIA, but you know what I'm saying? Sure, like there, there, there. There's no uh, on the surface like Federation Bureau of Investigations, we'll say, right? But Section Thirty One would serve yeah. that purpose. Yes, I, I was really, I really enjoyed the way that they wrote the part about how uh, Culver 
was still, you know, ex- alive or existing. Um, and that was yes. that he passed himself into into uh, into Stamets and then like through Stamets into the mycelial network, which which is pretty cool. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. I guess they they were just showing a flashback, but I was almost saying, are are, are they doing uh, uh, the kiss of life and the tears of life, bring him back to life? But yeah. I guess they weren't. I mean, that's totally what they're doing. That's totally what they're doing. So like <laughs> Disney trope. While they're in the mycelial plane, a Colbert still feels like Colbert. Like he didn't have that whole thing. Like I don't feel like I'm in my body. Like he has later, but he's not made of. Well, he's too kind, kind of pseudo crazy though at this point he's too stressed out and and on a constant adrenaline high that, and survival mode that he can't think about these things like i don't feel like myself you know oh yeah true enough he's been he's been chased by these these uh, spores all around the mycelial network which you know the mycelial network is supposed to be at least the size of the galaxy i imagine so it's interesting that they found him basically like wherever they wanted to be. Like they just stopped where they were and then dropped halfway in, and there he is, right there. But he could have been anywhere. He could have been in any any of the cosmos. <laughs> yeah. Like he he really should have been wherever wherever they in, wherever he entered, is where he should kind of be. But he was on the ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, that's where he died. Does that mean that like? I guess if the mycelial network, because uh, I'm, I'm thinking, I think I'm, I'm thinking in two dimensions. I think, I think examining this too much is uh, going to make it fall apart. But uh, <laughs> if, if he's on, if he's on the ship in the mycelial plane, then when they intersected the ship with the mycelial plane, they shouldn't have seen it come in. It shouldn't have like emerged into the mycelial network. It should have like just solidified while in the mycelial network. You see what I'm saying? I was 100% devastated when Stamets could not pull Culper through. I mean, at least he got his arm back. I mean, he his arm dematerialized, oh, and it should have. I know. I he should have totally wailed and been like, "Oh God, my arm's gone!" and pulled his arm back, and it's totally still gone. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Like I, but that's one of those many things that I, you know, I've just had to come to accept. Like some things that don't necessarily stand up, but I just I accept yeah. them. You know, I so I spent a, I spent a while um, on Twitter. I was like heavily on Twitter, looking at you know uh, you know talking to people about Star Trek and talking to people about Discovery. And I had to step away for a while because there's so much negativity before and at the beginning before us Discovery started and like towards the beginning of it, especially like the first season, yes. um, that I stepped away because like I you can make a choice right in life. And your choice can be to react to things, yeah. to enjoy things, to not enjoy things. And I have chosen that to for Star Trek to be, you know, a source of joy for me, right? So mm-hmm. I, I I take it as is, and I take it as Star Trek, and I accept it, and I love it, yes. no matter what. Um, yes, I can find yes. fault with it. Yes, I can find yeah. issues with it. But I choose to accept it. It's kind of like... Yeah, it's kind of a okay. So it's a relationship, right? So I have a relationship with Star Trek, and in relationships, someone might have faults, but you accept them and you move on. You know, like that's just the way it is. It's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Or like, I I heard somebody give the analogy of um, a mother and her children. Most of the time, 
you ask a mom who their favorite is and they don't have a favorite they have you know things they like about one child and they have different things that they like about another child but asked to pick and choose um you know you, you don't do that as a mother most mothers i'm hoping that your mother doesn't do that i'm not oh, sure if you have siblings don't hope that so i have um an older sister who is nine years older than me and i had an older brother who was seven years older than me he died um when he was 27 um and uh -huh. that's when I was, uh, that's just before I joined the Navy. And, um, but I was the one who, like, could get away with more, which is, <laughs> I mean, it's largely a function of, like, because I did more, you know? I was just less less obedient and, and, and trusting and following than, than they were. <laughs> um, but he always, I, I felt like he always, well, no, I know that he always knew that I had my own path and that my own path was going to be okay. And that, like, in a sense, I knew what I was doing and I was going to be okay. Like, he, my mother would, I, I would hear them, like, you know, fussing about me a lot because, you know, I wasn't, you know, by myself. And that, I mean, with my siblings being that much older, it was kind of like I didn't have siblings because by seventh grade, there was nobody else in the house but me and my parents. Um, and my mother oh, okay. would always worry. So, my father would say always again, be like, how oh. much older than you is your sister? Sorry, now, no. Okay. My half brother is 11 years younger than I am. Oh, younger. Oh. Um, I'm the I'm the oldest of of uh, my mother's children. Ah, gotcha. Um, but you know, my, my father would always be like, "Yeah, he's he's gonna be okay. He's gonna be fine." And be like, "Don't worry about it." Um, I don't think she ever believed it, but here I am. I'm I'm pretty much okay. You know, like I I live in a pretty nice area, one of the nicest areas in in DC, and you know, I have a really like. Uh, I don't, I'm, and I don't mean it to brag, but like I have a pretty decent apartment. Like, and it's taken me a while to get here. It was, it was. I think serving in the military is what really like helped me out a lot. Like, it's given me quite a leg up because I get, especially in DC, I get a lot of advantages that other people don't have. Um, and I didn't do that on purpose. Like, that wasn't my intention. My intention was to like stay in the military until like forever. That didn't necessarily work out because um, I thought that I was going to do something else, and that something else didn't really pan out. But because I did that and I did, you know, reasonably well with it, like I'm pretty much gonna be okay, at, at the very least in DC, because they have a lot of respect for, they have a lot of respect for people who have gone gone ahead and of their own volition, you know, given their lives over to the government. I mean, I took it, I took it back after a while, but like your I, life back from the government. Yeah, yeah, I, I took it back, but um. But they, you know, I, I did some stuff while I was there that I guess was good. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're watching with me. I think that... I'm actually right about the spot I, I think... when uh, the little husk, uh, the little transporter husk, the little, my see little transporter husk that took Tilly away in the first the place gave Hugh back. Yes. The, the engineer was just hugging him and holding him. For a second there... I thought that his butt double was Caucasian. I'm like, that's going to be a complete F up. Do you think that's his butt Why double or do you think that's him? I I don't know. I was assuming I, 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 it doesn't make any difference to me, but I, you know, I mean, obviously anybody can have, or everybody has different shapes of skin on different parts of their body for different reasons. Sure. Um, and the light plays off of the skin at, at different angles and, you know, well, I'll bet you, just, you, I'll bet you I know what the part, darkest part of Wilson Cruz's body is. 
Is this going to be family friendly? It's his eyes. What do you mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> what were you talking about? I don't know where you were going. No. Um, I I know that my grayish blue eyes are not the darkest part of my body, and yeah. the white part, those galera, whatever it's called, is definitely not the darkest part. For sure. But I do know that certain parts on my head are darker than the rest of my body. Hey, hey, family friendly here. Oh, oh, the head on your okay. <laughs> what? I, where, where are you going with? I this? don't. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm just listening to you. I don't know either. Um, <laughs> oh my! So here's gonna be. I, I'm. I'm gonna make a prediction that. Um, okay. That some people uh, listening to this, because you know, of course, there's gonna be millions of people listening to this podcast. Correct. Of course, there will. Because how can they? Oh yeah, to yeah, this, millions. This virtual hundreds this, of millions or tens of because millions. because we are the most professional podcast on the planet. <clears throat> because my voice doesn't sound like. Um, <laughs> Uh, like I've been screaming at a at a baseball game for for four days. Um, that uh, this is gonna be everyone's favorite minute. show ever, and I think that some people's favorite part. Some, some people are gonna be really super amused by your laugh in particular, and some people are gonna be like, "Oh my god, I wish you would stop laughing ever again." At least it's not uh, the nanny's laugh from that. <laughs> either way, either way, it's gonna be a cornerstone of uh, of of the show. I'm I'm one hundred percent for sure. Now you're gonna make me restrain my laugh. No, don't restrain your laugh. Uh, if, if I were, if I were one of the uh, one of the fans of the show, which I am actually, I would say that that was that would be my favorite part of the show. I would listen to the show <laughs> just to find out what you're gonna laugh at next, <laughs> and how much uh, the other host guy um, can can make you laugh and force that laugh out of you, because it's it's, <laughs> it's such an endearing part. Of this of this show, I was just um, holding the microphone completely away from my mouth. I just realized I don't even know if I can be heard, but I know I can now. I heard you just fine. Uh, so, Jack, you, yes, Earl. Uh, let's play a little bit of uh, uh, Rabbit Trail Bingo here. So, tell us what uh, baseball game were you listening to? Oh, there was no baseball game. I don't like watching baseball on television. I only like going to games. Okay, but I don't really go to games. Like I so you the, were referring to the idea that you were screaming at the at a baseball game for the last four days. Yeah, I I wasn't. I I just made that up. That was that was something oh. that, that came that came out of the ether. Oh, okay. I know. I just my voice doesn't sound the best um, as it usually does. Um, uh, let me see. Yeah, my uh, I, I guess what I did again. I looked at my phone again. I don't know why I keep looking, but this is the second pot, second show in a row that I looked at my phone. I have to remember to like keep my phone face down because it's super distracting. Well, I mean, I was squirrel looking oh. at what? Where? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> See, I got you too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. But I, I, I admit that I was looking at Pokemon Go for probably the first five minutes of our watching it, and I told myself, "No, you got to turn off your smart device." Uh, oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at or t- listening to one of probably two people in all of the world that can still do his Kirk impression when he opens and talks to his phone. And yes, my phone does open. And no, it's not one of those new closing smartphones. We get a flippity dippity phone. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I've got flipping, flipping a phone with a, uh, with a uh, with a with a um a lid and a hinge. And yeah, and a, a T nine uh touchpad where you can go like six 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 five 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 three 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 two two one seven seven seven, and you've now spelled out <laughs> instead of just using a damn keyboard. <laughs> I remember once upon a time I was like super fast at that thing, and now I'm just like now I just like turn my nose up in disgust. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do this. Well, I, you know, my processing speed is slower than average, and uh, I I get disgusted at it. And when I encounter people, and sorry if you're one of these, but they don't like talking on the phone, and they only like texting, then I kind of find it annoying because for me it's so slow to do and if i want to just say a few things and communicate a few points and details it's faster and more convenient for me to pick up the phone and dial it yeah no doubt no doubt faster faster to call than to the to text but i don't necessarily like text calling because when i call i often get caught up in a long conversation i didn't mean to have and like neglect other things this episode was really super fast. I've, I've found that with a lot of episodes, like they're yeah, they're they're like an hour long, but it seems as if like I don't know, they just seem to go by so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we're already in the uh, next time next week on Star Trek Discovery portion, and uh, the episode is going into credits. And yeah, I don't um, I don't watch. We must have been watching for. Fifty minutes. Fifty minutes. Yeah. Um, so they are filming Star Trek Discovery in Toronto, and the reason why I bring that up is because I watched, uh, I have watched, and uh, probably a couple times with my partner, um, watched a couple of shows that are also filmed in Toronto. Most notably, um, uh, Saving Hope, which is a show that has, uh, well, I don't know his name, but he's Daniel Jackson from Stargate. He's like the lead guy on the show, um, okay. and he's for like five years. There are several crossovers of people from that show to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, like May Ahern was on okay. Saving Hope uh, a few years ago. And then, so like, I was watching Saving Hope like last week and she popped up in a show and I was like, oh my God, look who it is. Um, and there's been, I don't remember who they are, but there've been several people who popped up in Saving Hope who were on Discovery as well. So I guess that's maybe a function of filming in in Toronto, as you get those Toronto people. Um, I think maybe people are people are uh, pretty interesting in Toronto. Let me tell you. So this Red Angel character creature thing, I was convinced for a minute that it was an Andorian because it had it appears to have antenna. I will also say that as soon as I saw that Red Angel for the first time, I noticed its hips. So I was like, well, this is a female. This is definitely a woman. But the kicker is the hips of the Red Angel appear to be bigger than the hips uh, of the person who we eventually find out who it is. Um, Also, we didn't discuss it previously. So I want to mention it again. And I'm mentioning it again because the trailer, uh, the trailer, the the previously on Star Trek Discovery um, thing is going by. And... uh, that shirt that Doug Jones is wearing, that's Saru's uh, upper body, is so gross. The shirt? Yeah, the Saru's Saru's like Saru's, thing that he's... Saru's torso basically. Like when he takes his shirt off, and you have you just see like naked torso Saru. 
Oh my god, I wouldn't. Oh, okay. You think you think they they uh, put makeup over his torso? Well, they put no. They put like a whole shirt on him that has like kelpian skin on it, and it's so gross. And it doesn't it doesn't quite bend right. Like it doesn't it doesn't move with his body correctly. Oh, okay. But it's so it's so gross. Like it's gross. It's like his hands are like for some reason I'm bothered more by by his torso being all like striated and like lined and stuff and ridged and all that. I'm so much more grossed out by his torso being like that than his hands being like that. Although, I guess I should have expected uh, his hands to be like that. You know who I want to see pop up in Star Trek Discovery or some other Star Trek series is the... the remember in... Uh, what was this? Was this in Star Trek Beyond? Where, like, there's a woman who's on the crew who's hiding, like, the... Um, the thing... The, what do they call it? Like um, Alfred Hitchcock called it the uh, the MacGuffin, right? Oh so yeah, she, the MacGuffin. Yeah. So she's hiding the MacGuffin like in the back of her head, mm-hmm. and like it, it, her back of her head opens like hands, like mm-hmm. like fingers are hiding in. I totally want to see those people again because I want to know like what is that for? <laughs> like biologically, what in the world do they have a hand on the back of their head? Oh okay. I only saw Structure Beyond like once, and I saw it on disc and I barely remember I watched that I watched that movie uh, in I saw that movie in the theaters and I think I've seen it maybe one more time since then but I don't think I watched it all the way through but I so want to watch that movie I really like a lot of people bash the Kelvin universe but I really like that movie and one of the reasons I, I really like that movie is because of the warp field effect when they like zoom out and you see like the whole effect Jack, around the ship yes do you want to um let, let's cut right there yeah um we'll see you next time lap. Bye, everyone. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3 Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.